31,000, 45,000, the story of two trains of French resistance. A podcast by Mathieu Landour-Engel. Louis Brunet, 45,308, the movie theater. Today is a day in early 1944, a cold day. Louis Brunet is going to the cinema tonight. A cinema in Auschwitz. Many things have changed during the quarantine, and many things have stayed the same. The end of the quarantine was a disappointment for sure. Nobody wanted to get back to the commandos or the roll calls. Yet, for six months, they all found their forces back. They regrouped, they reorganized, and this time... Unlike in the Royal Year Camp in Compiègne, the 45,000 knew what to prepare for next. They knew they should prepare for the worst. To Louis Brunet's surprise, the 45,000 had become veterans. They had survived all this time. It made them look special. They had been quarantined for so long. It made them look like lucky people. Lucky charms, even. The other prisoners came to them, asked them questions, gave them food in exchange for shaking hands in front of a guard or SS. The 45,000 were now old numbers, unlikely survivors, exceptions. Louis Brunet was a funny man. He always had a joke to lighten the mood. But since he was back in the camp, everyone around him laughed harder at his jokes, wanted to please him more. He may be funny. Louis knew he wasn't that funny. The camp has changed. The commandant has changed. Hoss was replaced by Arthur Liebenhenschel. His views and his orders were different than Hoss. The prisoners were to work better for the war effort. To him, a dead man was not helpful to the war effort. So from that point on, they were to be treated better, to be fed more, to have shorter roll calls and warmer clothes. They were to be entertained even, which is why the movie theater, once reserved exclusively to the SS and Capos, was now sometimes opened to prisoners. Not all prisoners, though. When the 45,000 got out of the quarantine, the living condition had improved, except for the Jewish people, for the homosexuals and the Tsigans. Their living conditions were never to be improved. The disproportions were unbearable. On one side, men were annihilated. On the other, they could go to the cinema. Disproportions like that reminded Louis Brunet of France. Not as terrifying, of course, but the Jewish population had been ostracized there too. And Louis didn't even notice that much until now. He worked as a carpenter and he had the opportunity to work for a couple of weeks at the boulogne billancourt Cinema Studios in 1940. Those were legendary studios, where movies like Hôtel du Nord, La Grande Illusion, La Bête Humaine had been made. France had just lost the war, the Vichy government was implementing its first laws, and even the cinema industry was affected. The last shoot was a year earlier, La Mode Rêvée by Marcel Lherbier. Nothing else so far. Most of the crews, actors, technicians had fled to the south of France. A huge chunk didn't have any intention of coming back. The studios were empty, 
nobody was working. There were plans for new feature films, but they would have to follow specific guidelines. Jewish people were not advised to work anymore. Films should be comedies, light-hearted stories promoting values such as family, strength, conservatism. Some refused, some needed money. Some big actors didn't mind, some preferred to leave the country. And some, like Josephine Baker or Jean Gabin, joined the Gaulle's army and fought overseas with the Allies. Louis didn't think much about it. He needed money, and he didn't think his job as a carpenter had much to do with those silly rules. Louis worked there for two weeks, updating the studio structure. And then he was arrested as a communist on the 26th of October, 1940. He was transferred to Ancourt, where he met with Coutola, Lambotte. Then they were all transferred once more to Royalieu. Louis didn't think much about the Jewish camp, separated from the communist camp. Separations, there again. The disproportion is gigantic in Auschwitz, but he was already there too, in France. It had been there for a while. The anti-Semitism, like a shadow, slowly covering everything. So slowly that nobody paid attention, until it was too late. Back to the present, we can enjoy a cinema screening. But how can you enjoy this while women, men and children are being murdered a few miles away? We often feel numb about those crimes. He had seen so many, like everyone else. Repetition makes one used to anything. But this time Louis stops. He can't watch a movie, he can't find a joke to tell, to lighten the mood, he just can't. They know that they should stay together, share their food. They know that Robert Lambotte, Georges Guinchamp, Roger Abada and a few others should stay in touch with the German, Austrian and Polish resistance groups. Like Eugène Garnier should keep his contacts with the 31,000, help in any way. Like Louis Odier, they should keep on sabotaging the German war effort. Everything to help the Allies, even at their level. Mostly, they need to survive. There is much to tell about what has happened here. Only 150,000-45,000 remain. Thank you for listening to this episode of 31,000-45,000, the story of two trains of French members of the Resistance. My name is Mathieu Landour-Engel. This episode is about Louis Brunet and the return of the 45,000 from the quarantine. It is a very delicate episode, therefore I will try to be thorough with my explanations I apologize if I am not being clear or thorough enough. As I mentioned before, the complex of Auschwitz-Birkenau was gigantic and Birkenau was the biggest place of all, as well as the center for the extermination of the European Jewish population. In comparison, Auschwitz was far smaller. You could walk through it in 10 minutes, roughly. Auschwitz was a place where there were prisoners like the remaining 45,000, for example. It was also a place where many of the uh, Nazi administration's quarters were. The SS enjoyed good living conditions in Auschwitz. They had access to good food, to a lot of alcohol, to games. At one point, a water reservoir was converted at, as a swimming pool. There was a theater and a movie theater. Those places were reserved to the SS, 
sometimes to capos and guards, and also under the ruling of Lieben Henschel, life conditions were loosened so some prisoners had access to it. Obviously, those prisoners were exceptions, not the rule, and the Jewish prisoners and those under the Nacht und Nebel decree certainly didn't have any access to it. At that time, the 45,000 and the 31,000 were not under the Nacht und Nebel decree anymore. Those equipments only existed in Auschwitz, certainly not in Birkenau, the biggest place of all. Those equipments were also used as propaganda tools in order to give the illusion that the camp was not an extermination camp, but more of a nice camp with leisure activities. Holocaust deniers often used the brief presence of a swimming pool or a movie theater as evidence that there was no extermination, which is why it feels delicate to mention that. Those two elements are not incompatible. The brief presence of those equipment doesn't cancel the extermination process, which happened further away. There were also orchestras in Auschwitz and Birkenau. There were more than one, and they had different purposes. One purpose was to entertain the SS administration. Another was a propaganda purpose. Once more, to show a nice camp with clean musicians playing well-rehearsed marching bands. The orchestra's main task was to play in the morning and the evening as the commandos went to work and returned to the camps. Playing in the orchestra was a good commando as you were slightly better fed, yet it didn't protect from violence or the spread of diseases. Tunes were mostly marching bands or classical tunes such as the Merry Widow, the Barcarolle, the Tales of Hoffman and so forth. Those tunes later became traumas for some surviving prisoners who couldn't listen to music without being reminded of the terror of the camps. I'm speculating whether Louis Brunet or the 45,000 had access to the movie theater. It was normally reserved to the SS or Capos, but given the 45,000's new statue as old numbers, as veterans, it's not entirely impossible that some of them have had at one point during this period access to it. I also assumed that Louis Brunet felt uneasy about his veteran status and uneasy between uh, his condition and the condition of the European Jewish population. He may not have felt that, I can't prove any of it, but I assumed some 45,000 felt this, maybe Louis Brunet did. Lieben Henschel's time was a little softer than Hoss. That doesn't mean he wasn't deadly. It was also quite brief. Hoss replaced him uh, once more shortly after. I briefly mentioned the state of the French cinema, music and the arts under the German occupation. I'm only going to focus on Josephine Baker because she was an incredible woman. Josephine Baker was an American-born woman. She rose to fame as she arrived in France. During the war, she was recruited by the French military intelligence and for years worked as a spy, gathering information for the French intelligence. She worked for the resistance in North Africa and received the Resistance Medal. She was also made Chevalier of the Légion d'honneur by the General de Gaulle, who recognized the importance of her contribution to the Allies' victory. She was a fierce member of the Resistance. Other French celebrities, members of the Resistance, existed, of course, people like Jean Gabin, Marcel Marceau. Most artists chose to stay away from the war, 
others didn't do anything and grew their careers. Finally, Louis Brunet survived the deportation, yet he died at the same time, according to the French administration. It took him a long time to get his papers back and become alive again um, to the eyes of the French administration. I have been trying to find Louis Brunet's relatives. Unfortunately, my research wasn't successful. If by any chance you know of someone related to him, please let me know. I would be pleased to get in touch and make sure the text I wrote doesn't contain any errors. My sources for this story mostly come from the book Red Triangles in Auschwitz by Claudine cardon Amet, Le Convoi du 24 janvier by Charlotte Delbouf, the website Mémoire Vive, the Foundation for the Memory of Deportation website, the Metron website, and the fantastic website Auschwitz.org. Thank you very much for your attention. Next episode will be about Thérèse Lambois and the sewing department. 31,000, 45,000, the story of two trains of French resistance. A podcast by Mathieu Landour-Engel.